Hello. Hello. Normally I have it over this side, but I think I'm going to do it. No, I'm not. I'm going to move it over here. <laughs> sorry, that was, I was almost going to do something radical and different, but uh, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And there's a button down here, which I don't know what it does, so I can just press that every now and again. Okay, is everyone doing all right? Yeah. Or maybe I should use this one down here. There's two. This is exciting. Okay. Right, we're in the book of Exodus this morning. So if you want to find Exodus chapter 13, uh, we've been working through the book of Exodus since sometime earlier this year. And we've reached chapter 13. We're going to read... Uh, through to the end of chapter 14 from verse 17 in chapter 13. We're not going to read it all in one chunk. We're going to read it in three chunks because it's quite a long passage. Uh, and then, But first of all, I'm going to pray. God, we thank you so much for the Bible, which is uh, not just a dusty old book from thousands of years ago, but is your word that's alive today that speaks clearly to us, doesn't tell us about how life was, it tells us how life should be now. It tells us about you, Jesus, more than anything else. So we pray that as we study your word this morning that you'd speak richly into our hearts, you'd speak into our circumstances, the things that are happening in our lives. He'd speak into our hopes and our fears, our worries, our anxieties, our dreams, and you'd realign all those things to point to you, Jesus, we ask. Amen. Okay, right, let's get right to it. And we're going to read from uh, Exodus 13, verse 17 through to 22 to begin with. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, which is weird, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. If my dad puts that in his will, I've got to carry his bones around with me then. Actually, I know what he's putting in his will and it's something very different. Okay, we're going to move on. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped to Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from them before the people. I don't know if you notice if you live here in the city, but often if we live our lives on bikes, cycling around all over the place, and uh, there are particular journeys that we do regularly. So um, although we came on the tram this morning, often we'll cycle here uh, from, we live on the other side of the city, and to cycle across 
here, there's two ways that you can go. There's the quick way, uh, and then there's my way. Okay. And my way isn't as quick, but it avoids certain kind of points where, uh, where basically where there are tourists, right? Because every, everyone knows how cycling works, apart from tourists. Because they, they walk across these bike paths, and you ring your bell, and they just think you're saying hello, and you say, get out of my way! Um, not like that. I normally say it very calmly. And, uh, but that's, that's how city life works, right? You, you have to know that there are certain points where you're probably going to end up cycling into a tourist or pushing them into the road. So I know that to get here, we have a, a, another way, which is longer, but it's quieter. And nobody gets hurt most of the time anyway. And that's kind of what's happening in this story that... Uh, uh, it, where we've got to in the story is this is after the, the Passover meal. Pharaoh has said to the Israelites who've been in slavery, he's, after uh, Passover, after the plagues, after everything that God has done, if you don't know the story, you'll probably want to read up on that in a week. After everything God has done, Pharaoh says, go. And these Israelites leave together, thousands of them. Uh, and there's a quick way and there's there's the way that they go. They could have gone the shorter way through the, the land of the Philistines, and it would have taken them about two weeks to get to the promised land where they were heading. And they went a different way, and actually, not to ruin the story, but it takes them 40 years, which is a bit longer than two weeks. Um, but God leads them deliberately in the other direction. And, you know, sometimes that happens in our life, right? We, we find that uh, we can ask ourselves, how on earth did I end up here? How did, how did this happen? How did I get to this place? I thought I was going over there, but I'm somehow here. I thought this is what I was going to do with my life, but I'm ended up doing this thing. What's, what's that about? And sometimes, you know, it's, the, the reality is, is that God knows what you can face. Not as in he knows um, your strength, but he knows how he's going to work through you. He knows the plan that he has for you. He knew for the, the Israelites that they weren't ready to go and fight a battle against the Philistines. So he took them another way. He took them a kind of a long cut. He took them in a different direction. When, when Joe and I were uh, wanting to, uh, when God first spoke to us about moving here to Amsterdam, we moved here three years ago um, to start this church from Brighton in England. When God first spoke to us, it was about six years ago. And I went to uh, the leaders of our church in Brighton and said, this is it, we're off. God's spoken. And they said, calm down. <laughs> like you're being crazy. Just, let's just give this a little bit of time to work it out. And I was ready to go. You know, I was packing the bags. Let's book flights. Let's just do it. And they said, Matt, it's going to be a little bit more complicated than that. It's not quite as easy to relocate your family and to move to a new city and start a new church. Actually, it'll be quite hard. And you need, to, you need to get a team with you. You need to prepare properly. And there was a lot of wisdom there. And although I was excited and ready to make it happen, I knew that the, the timing wasn't right. And often in our lives, we want to do things, particularly in our culture, we want to do things and we want to do them now. And so much of what we, we can do, we can do right away, or at least we think we can. But sometimes we just need to wait and see, well, okay, where's, where's God leading me? You know, I might want to go over here, but... What's God got for me? What's his plan? Why has he brought you to this place that you are now? It's for a reason. And not only does he know the way, 
He knows the way, but he's faithful on the way. So the story about Joseph's bones, I think we should probably explain what's going on there, why the people of Israel have to carry Joseph's bones. Because when you're a preacher, you can, you can, when things like that happen, when a verse like that appears, you've got two options. Either you try and explain it, or you just hope that nobody noticed when you read it out. Everyone's not going to notice the bit about Joseph's bones. But unfortunately, it actually appears quite a couple of times in the Bible. So it says this in Genesis 50. This is uh, at kind of the end of Joseph's life. And he says, Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you should carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So it's not even just his bones. This was probably his whole body, you know, like an Egyptian sort of scarf off of thingy, you know, all wrapped up in a sort of coffin that they had to take with him. I mean, that's weird, right? My dad, just to explain that bit, my dad, uh, he, when he dies, he wants his, his ashes blown out of a steam train, you know? <laughs> Honestly, (laughs) please, somebody, just, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. But I've got an older brother, so he'll have to do that, I think, and a sister, so they can can make that happen. But it also says in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, if you don't know it, is a chapter where in part of it, it lists some of the kind of heroes of the faith in the Bible and some amazing exploits that they've done. And about, this is all it says about Joseph. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones, which you feel a bit sorry for, for Joseph. All his buddies up in heaven have got these amazing stories, Abraham and Moses. Joseph, it's just about what he did with his bones, which again is a bit weird. But what's happening here is that, this is, it says here he did it by faith. Joseph knew that God had made promises. The Bible uses the phrase covenant, that made, God had made a covenant with his people. God had promised his people a promised land, a future, a hope. So this is an act of faith. Although Joseph, was, he was in Egypt at the time, and there wasn't really much hope of them moving on from there. He'd led the people there. That's where they were. But he believed that God had something better for them. He believed that God was faithful. So these directions concerning his bones, this is a step of faith. He believed that God was faithful. And, you know, one of the themes that, that goes through this whole book of Exodus is exactly that, that God's faithful. And, you know, sometimes not even, you might not even see quite what you want to happen in, in your lifetime. Because it's not really about your story and how God's going to work that out. It's about his story and the part that you play in that. The role that you play in working out his plan. And Joseph knew that. He knew that he wasn't going to see the people of Israel go out of Egypt. He'd only just got there. But he had a hope, a dream, a certainty even that it was going to happen. And not only does... Is he faithful in his guiding of us? But he does guide us along the way. He comes as this pillar of cloud to lead them. God's deliverance isn't he just says, right now, go, but he goes with them. This kind of constant, protective presence. And that's how we get to walk as believers, knowing his constant, protective presence and leadership 
of us. Now let's move on. We're going to read the next bit. So this is the, from the start of chapter 14. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pithoroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zathon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. I'll harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and he took his army with them. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and all his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them and camped at the sea by Pithoroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt? that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. See, what's happened in this part of the story is, for the, the Israelites, for them it feels like God's led them into a, into a dead end, a cul-de-sac. He's almost led them into a trap. They're surrounded. They've got the sea on one side, They've got the Egyptians coming towards them. They've got mountains around them. They're just stuck. They're totally stuck. And they, they panic, as you know, I, I probably would have done when, 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 if I was there. They panic. They don't know what to do. And we find in this bit of the story that a couple of things happen. Firstly, Pharaoh kind of changes his mind. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh looks at them and he sees that they're entangled, that they're trapped, that they're stuck in the wilderness. And he starts kind of plotting to go, to go and get them. Says, and this is from verse 3. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And, you know, often we can feel a little bit like this or... We can hear these kind of accusations spoken over us. We can feel like we're trapped. And we, we kind of listen to, 
to the accuser, to kind of the Pharaoh, the, the enemy, we listen to what he has to say. We can feel trapped. In this translation says they're wandering in the land. Other translations say that they were entangled. And we can sometimes feel or we can listen to accusations that say we're entangled because we have an enemy who the Bible describes as the accuser. And he throws accusations at us. When we're in those moments where we feel like there's no hope, when we've just made that same mistake, where we've blown it again and then again and again, we can hear those accusations come at us. You know, we can hear that we're not good enough or that we've failed or that we could never tell anybody about what we've done. And we have an accuser who comes and attacks us and tries to undermine us. And not only does he undermine us the same way as Pharaoh does here, he comes after us. Because what's happened is Pharaoh, after all these plagues and everything that's happened, he's let the people go. And then he realizes, I want my slaves back. <laughs> they were doing a job for me. They were serving me. They were worshiping me. I want them back. And that's exactly what happens in, in our own lives, is that the enemy wants us back. He doesn't want us to worship God. He doesn't want us to serve Jesus. He wants our devotion. He wants it instead. And we, we, we can get called back into our, our old way of living, our old lifestyle, our old patterns of sin, we can feel ourselves being drawn back into it and we can feel like we've lost control. We, 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 then that's, we respond as the Israelites did and we start to look at our circumstances and we begin to say, what are we going to do? It says, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us? <laughs> And we can look at our some situation sometimes, and in a way, it's a perfectly reasonable, logical conclusion to come to. We can look at our circumstances and think, what has happened? God, what have you done to me that you've led me to this place? I don't want to be here. This is horrid. I don't want to live like this. Why have you led me here? But, and then what happens, obviously, is they say this. Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And they think, actually, I'm, I was better off like that. Life was easier. Life was simpler when I just was living that way. As Christians, we can feel like that sometimes. We can feel, oh, wouldn't life just be so easier, much easier if I just didn't worry about this guilt anymore and I just lived that way? They seem to be having so much more fun. I'd rather just live like that. We can get tempted to sort of give in. But the important thing is not what the enemy, Pharaoh, the devil, says about you. It's not what even you say about you that matters. That's kind of irrelevant in a way. It's what God says about you that, that matters. It's his words over your life that matter. Because what can happen is 
when, when we realize there's something in our life that isn't right, there's something that's broken, it's a bit like we're, we're tending a garden, we're a gardener. I remember in our house in England, I laid a lawn, a garden, a lovely grass lawn, and it took me weeks to do it, to rip up the old one, to get rid of all the weeds as much as I could, to flatten it down, and then this van delivers all this grass, and you roll it out, and you kind of cut it up, and for a couple of months, it looked perfect. I was like, I am king gardener. But then, then it, began to, it began to kind of not fall apart, but roots began to pop up and appear. They'd make their way through the lawn, um, and they would sort of rise up to the service, and you think, oh, no, and then another one appears, and then another one appears. This weeds and horribleness just come from nowhere, and they kind of begin to ruin your perfect, beautiful lawn. <laughs> and our, our, our walk with God, our lives can feel like that sometimes. We could have moments, maybe you come to church on a Sunday, and you can just feel brilliant. You feel on top of the world. And then all of a sudden, things, weeds begin to appear. Things that you don't like begin to surface. And we tend to do one of two things. Either we, we mow over them, we get the lawnmower out, and we cut it all down. And you just, because then that looks fine. You just chop off the top of the weeds along with the grass, and then for a couple of weeks, it looks fine until they grow back up again. And you realize that you've not actually solved the problem. You've just chopped the head off and the thing just keeps growing back up. We either mow it over or the other thing we do is we, is we cover it up. I worked on a, on a building site uh, when I was in my teenage years for a week and I, they had the building inspector came around. We'd been digging foundations, this big trench in the ground where they were gonna build a new house. And there was this big tree root that we'd not been able to get rid of. And the builder knew that when the building inspector came round, if he saw that tree root, we'd be in trouble. So when he turned up, he said to me, Matt, just sit, sit, on, the, sit, on, the, sit on the tree root. I was like, I can't sit on the tree. He's like, no, seriously. He gave me this big plant pot and we put it over and I just sat on this plant pot on the tree root. I just say, hey, how are you doing? <sighs> and that's, that's often how we, we deal with the sin in our lives, that we just cover it up. We think, I don't want the inspector to see what I've been doing. I just, we just cover it up. We either mow it down and just deal with the surface issues, and we don't get to the root of the problem, or we just cover it up and hope, hope nobody notices. But that doesn't get to the real heart of the matter, to the root of the problem. And to fix that, what's really going on, what's really causing you to do those things and to think those things, something deeper has to take place. Something right into your heart has to change. Something has to happen. And we have to remember that it's, as if you've been following this story, you'll realize that it's God that's led them here. He's brought them to this place. He's put them in this, what looks like a trap He's led them to this place where they've got no way out. He's put them here. And it says, it says this, Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you 
and you only have to be silent. <laughs> we just have to be silent. What I mean by that is it's not what the enemy says about you, it's not what you say about you, what matters. We just sometimes have to be silent and listen to what God says about you, about his love for you that we were singing about earlier, his plan for your life, his identity that he's put in you now. It says in, in Romans, let God be true that everyone were a liar. <laughs> sometimes that's the attitude we need to take God's true. Everyone else, including me, is a liar. Because sometimes we can listen to accusations, even what other people say about us, things that have haunted us from years and years and years, which people have said, or things that we just believe about us that aren't true, and it's a lie. It's a lie. And what matters is that God's true, and that's the only thing that counts. And actually, the it's fascinating. I don't know if you saw it when we were reading through it. We had the Dutch below, and the Dutch puts it slightly differently. It says, U hoft self needs to do. Michiel, what does that mean? You don't have to do anything yourself. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? The, the Dutch there just brings out the power of the gospel there. You don't have to do anything. Huh? <laughs> hold on a second, surely this is a religion. Surely religion says we have to do things. We have to achieve things. We have to make stuff happen. We have to go on a pilgrimage. We have to read a book. There's stuff we have to do. No, you don't. You don't have to do anything. That's the power of this message of grace, this gospel that we believe, that Jesus has done everything for you. And if you believe anything else, then you're putting yourself in the place of God. If you say, no, I can, I can fix it. Yeah, I can fix it. I can make myself right before God. I can solve my problems. Then you're just saying that you're, you're putting yourself on a par with God. You're saying, well, whatever he can do, I could do as well. And what God says to you is, shut up. Be silent. You can't. God can. God can. And if you really want to solve the, the, the mess in your life, the brokenness, that's the place you have to... It's not like you just get whipped up into a frenzy of motivation and you just go away and fix everything. You come to a place and you think, I can't do it. I can't. Only God can. And that's where we find these Israelites trapped. <laughs> and it's just true for them. Moses just has to say to them, look, just see the salvation that God's going to work for you today. Because you can't do it. You're not going to defeat all these Egyptians because you've been in slavery to them for 400 years. You're not going to suddenly now defeat them. You're also, you're not going to cross this Red Sea by yourself. It's not going to happen. You just have to wait and see what God's going to do. So let's do that. Let's move on to the last bit of the story from verse 15. The Lord said to Moses... Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians 
so they shall go in after them, and I'll get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who is going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between them, the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry, dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw that the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. And what's happened here is we've seen this final defeat has taken place. This final defeat has happened. It's what we've been working through, the, through this book, through the plagues, everything that's happened to the Egyptians by the hand of God. God's been undermining them. He's been showing their gods to be false. He's been showing his power. And now he's defeated them. The game's over. It's finished. All the Egyptian power, all the military might, all their authority, it's all destroyed. It's all gone. And with that final defeat, we find total, complete, decisive deliverance. The, in Exodus, it uses uh, five verbs. Verb is a doing word, an action word, to describe deliverance. First of all, in, verse, in, uh, in Exodus 13, uh, it says that, that they're, they're brought out. It says, by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. There's a Deliverance is a, for the Israelites was a geographical thing that God moved them from one place to the next. Deliverance is also described as a rescue. In Exodus 
2, it says their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God pulls them out of danger, out of harm's way. He rescues them. Also says that it's a deliverance, obviously, is to deliver. In Exodus 3, God comes and completely transforms their situation. He says, I've come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And then he talks about saving, as we've just read in Exodus 14. There's a decisive military action that takes place. God literally defeats their military forces. He defeats their army. He saves them. They look around and they see the Egyptians dead on the seashore. God saved them. He's won a battle. And then finally, the final verb it uses is redeem. Exodus chapter 6. It says, I will bring them out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to you. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. We're rescued out of slavery. This is a, a, a total difference. And the, the, the subject of all these verbs, the power behind these verbs, the one performing the actions, the doing in these words is God every time. That's what deliverance is about. That every time God's brought them out, he's rescued them, he delivers, he saves, he redeems. That's what deliverance is. It's complete and total rescue. It means you've been brought out, rescued, delivered, saved, redeemed. God's come and he's relocated you geographically from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's relocated you into his family. He's pulled you out of danger. He's transformed your situation. He's acted decisively in defeating your enemies. He's redeemed you from slavery. God's won this total deliverance over your life. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus, that he's completely rescued you, that victory is won. It's, it's won. It's just totally won. Because in the same way that the Israelites could, could look back across the Red Sea and they were on the other side, that, that's what we get to do, that God's rescued us, he's brought us out to the other side. And the thing is, we, we live like we're over here sometimes, don't we? <laughs> we live like we're still in this trap. But God says, no, you're on the other side of the Red Sea now. Do you understand that? God's delivered you. He's transformed your situation. He's rescued you. Puts it like, uh, like this in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus... But to be a believer in Jesus means you're in Christ. He's, you've been relocated into Christ. The church is called the body of Christ for a reason. We're all part of his body now. We're in Christ. That means we're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Isn't that great news? <laughs> That's amazing news. That's what we're singing about about God's love for us because this is what happened. We've been relocated. We've been made these new creations now. God's come and he set us free. And we can still live. We, we, can, we can either try and kind of uh, run back to our old master. We can try and swim across the Red Sea ourselves, try and rescue ourselves. 
But you don't have to. You don't have to. God's delivered you. He's saved you. You live in freedom now. That's why we call our church Liberty Church. Not because we want to have liberty sometime in the future, but because we have it now. We have it now. That's the message to our city, a city that's searching for that. People are searching for the freedom to be who they want, to do what they want, trying to fill their life with all sorts of things to bring them some sort of happiness. And it doesn't work. But we get freedom, liberty in Jesus Christ now, today. We're new creations. We have this new life. There's a new power at work in us. It says in 2 Corinthians that it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. It says in, in Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, Exodus is this story. It's a story. It's, it's a true story, but it's leading somewhere. The journey that they're on is not just one of deliverance out of Egypt, but God's bringing them into his presence. God's bringing them into a relationship with him, to know him. And that's the journey that we've been brought on. We've been not only saved out of our old life, but brought into this new life. We've been brought into relationship with God. We've been raised now to, to know him. And the same way that the Egyptians could go through the Red Sea, we see Jesus' death, where he died for us. The same way that the Egyptian army is swallowed up in the sea, death is now swallowed up. Jesus died but then the same way the Israelites walked out of the Red Sea alive, we've been raised with Christ. This victory has taken place. We walk through with freedom in him, knowing everything that he's done for us. And the question probably reverberates around your brain. This sounds so easy. Why do I still struggle? Surely, if this is all true, I should be perfect. But we all struggle with sin. We all make mistakes. But the answer is not just to go and try harder. The answer is this. It says in Hebrews, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus. That's the answer. We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus who rescued us, who saved us. We bring all our problems and trials to him and say, God, I need your help. <laughs> That's the most biblical prayer you can pray. God, help. <laughs> God, I can't do this. I need your help. We just say, God, help me. You look to him and he helps you to work it out. He comes in with his this same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit rushes into your life to transform you. And it would be great if that all happened at once, but it doesn't. 
Sometimes there are moments where God suddenly sort of shifts us forward. But often you'll find that God's changing you little by little. We were talking last week about how it's like uh, God's taken up residence in this new home, you know, that's all dilapidated and the wallpaper's coming off the walls and it's a mess and the kitchen's broken. You know, the garden, there are weeds coming up everywhere. And God just doesn't do a big kind of renovation job and fix all at once. But little by little, God comes in and he transforms things. He comes into your life and he fixes his bit over there. He changes that from one degree of glory to the next. God's transforming us by his grace to be more like him. But through all of that, God loves us completely, totally. Okay, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Why don't you, if you're comfortable, why don't you stand to your feet? In a moment, we're going to take uh, communion. This is a meal that Jesus took with his disciples. It's a meal he commanded us to keep on doing in remembrance of him. This is a meal for those who are believers in Jesus. So if you're not a Christian, we just ask you to sit this part of the meeting out. Let me pray. Jesus, we, we thank you that uh, the message of of your word, of, of the story of Exodus, if we could kind of distill it down into one phrase, it would be that, that we can't, but you can. Thank you. <laughs> That's the story of, of the Israelites. It's not, that, uh, it's not that they suddenly fixed it after 400 years, they suddenly managed to fix the situation, or that Moses came and saved them. It's that you saved them, God, that you defeated their enemies. Thank you now that's true of us, that we now get to stand on the other side of the Red Sea. <laughs> and we get the same way they could look at the Egyptian bodies and know their victory. We can look at, at uh, uh, the things that held us captive and know that they're defeated now. The same way it says in Hebrews, we can just shake them off. Sometimes we need your grace, your help to do that. God, but we want to look to you we want to follow you knowing that, that you can. Even in all those areas of life where we can't, where we struggle, where we make mistakes, you can. Yeah. And we believe that. Yeah. We put our trust in you. Why don't you. Before we move on, why don't you just come to Jesus in your own heart? And you, you might even just want to confess some things. Come to God and say, Look, I'm, I'm sorry. I've been... I've been trying to fix this myself or I've, I've been mowing it over, trying to just, I've been dealing with the surface issues, I've not been getting to the root of the problem or I've just been covering it up, hoping nobody notices. It's not that you have to go and tell everybody now, but you need to bring it to Jesus. You need to confess it to him and say, God, I've, I've, been, I've been trying to hide this even from you, which is ridiculous. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. God, we just say that in our hearts that we want to follow you no matter where you lead us because we know that's just the best thing for our lives. We want to trust you for all, every, everything, all the ups and downs, all the difficulties, all the joy, all the pain. We want to trust in you, God, knowing that you're faithful. Thank you, Jesus.